lot that is here in this Romans 8 passage, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but there's just a few things that I wanted to, um, to bring forth um, as we walk into this evening. One of the things that, that Paul is doing in this section is, is he's trying to reorient us. Uh, you ever been in a place where you, like, you forget what it is to breathe? And everything is sort of tight and, and cramped in. Uh, there are times when we need something to reorient us, to remind us um, to breathe again. And this is what you have Paul doing. So you have in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is not saying that our present sufferings are um, unimportant or he's not minimizing them. And he's not saying, um, just cheer up, it's going to get better at some point. He really is trying to change our perspective and how we look at the things we deal with in this world. He's trying to help us see beyond our sufferings and our present circumstances and also through them. So beyond um, in the sense of uh, we might be walking through a difficult time and it might seem that, that that difficulty is winning the day. But you look beyond that and you, you know that this difficulty will end. I won't end. I will continue on into eternity. So this difficulty, it may seem to be winning, but it does not win. I can look beyond it. The image I have of this is when I was like four or five, my parents had a, um, uh, they got me a, a toy that was a clown that was taller than I was. It was inflated, and it had a, a chamber in the bottom that was filled with sand. And, and the idea is you'd punch it, right, and it'd go down, but the weight in the bottom would bring it back up again. Now, I know actually thinking about that clown punching is sort of disturbing, <laughs> but I remember that toy. <laughs> Because no matter how much I hit it, or how hard I hit it, it always came back up. And that is that place of seeing beyond. It's like, you may knock me down now, but I'm coming back up. You can't keep me down. That The God who is the God of all things, he will bring his redemption. I'm coming back. I'm coming back up. That is the ability to see beyond. Now, if we only... Um, sort of see beyond, we don't see in and through the present circumstances, then we can think that life is just something we have to put our heads down and slog through and endure with, with very little joy. We are also meant to see through our circumstances, to see God through them, to recognize that we are not alone, um, to begin to recognize that there's actually more going on than I can begin to comprehend a place of recognizing that, that even though I don't understand it and I don't see it, I know that God is at work. And that life is not random. Um, that there is purpose, and there is the God of purpose who is at work. And this is why Paul can write in verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Paul's saying, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. In our joys and in our sorrows, in our triumphs and in our disappointments, in our successes and in our failures, he is at work in all things for our good. That doesn't mean that all things are good, right? But he's at work in all things in order to bring about uh, what's good for us. Uh, this is the place of, of being able to see through to see where God is in the midst of it, or to trust that he is there, even if we don't understand or don't see it. So let me give you a story. When I was um, a, a brand new pastor, shiny, you know, just brand new, pastoring my first church, um, I took this church and 
and God surprised us and it started to grow. And I say surprised us because I actually believe that I was called to this church to give it a decent burial. Like that this thing is not healthy. God, just help me bury this with some integrity, then I'll move on to the next thing. I really, I really <laughs> thought that was my call. And God started rescuing people, and people started coming to faith. And the church began to really, not because I was doing, because I was thinking burial service, and, but God was at work, right? And the, and the church started to grow miraculously, and then we had to actually build a building. And this church had no funds, and, and there was this miraculous things that happened, and, and this beautiful building was built. And the, by the time I left that church, probably 80% of the congregation were previously unchurched. I mean, it was an evangelistic, uh, immense gift of God in that time. And the day that we celebrated finishing the building, our first service, was one of the hardest days of my life. I had no sense of God's love. And that was actually his mercy. See, even though I knew the gospel and I preached the gospel, I still had this equation in my heart that I had to somehow be good enough and worthy to earn his love. And so as I stood there on that day with all these people who have come to faith in this big, brand new, beautiful church building, in my heart what was happening was I was thinking, now, now maybe I'm worthy to be loved by God. And in his mercy, he withheld any sense of his love. Because if he would have poured his love out on me, it would have strengthened the wrong equation. It would have strengthened my belief that I have to do things in order to earn it. So God withheld that sense of his love and his presence from me. And it was, a, it was a severe mercy. It sent me into a tailspin for weeks. Hard time for me and hard time for my family. And yet, it was what was necessary to break that equation in me. So that I could receive God's love as this gift of grace. Know who I am as his child. See, God works all things together for our good. He does not work all things together for our comfort for our ease. But he's at work in all things. And that is something that we need to be reminded of and is something that we need to be reminded of as we look at our own lives and also be reminded of as we look at other people's lives. Not in the sense of saying I can be dismissive. Oh yeah, I just don't care. God's, God's at work in this life. I can just move on. Because he might be calling us to be a part of that, right? Um, but to understand that that life is not random, that God is at work, that he is working to bring forth good. And what Paul does in this section, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, um, is that he speaks of this tremendous assurance that we have. So he says, those who God has justified, he will glorify. Well, that's the way I think, actually. Those God has justified, he will glorify. But Paul actually says, those he justified, he has glorified. In other words, that when we are rescued, when Jesus rescues us, we are justified. We are made right with God. And that is a guarantee that we will be glorified. That we will actually stand in the new heavens and the new earth, fully renewed, fully restored in, in who God has intended us to be. There is, there is a certainty in that. There is an assurance in that. So much so that he actually says it as a past tense. And why can he do that? Well, being a child of God does not depend on my ability and what I do. It depends on the finished work of the cross. Being glorified, standing in the new heavens and the new earth, fully restored and fully redeemed, it doesn't depend on my ability and what I do. It depends on the finished work of the cross. 
And that is the, that is the, the, the picture that Paul has in this, is that we can have an assurance that God is at work. We look at the cross and we know that he is at work and that he is at work in all things for good. There are times that I need to be reminded of that. There's certainly times where I feel the weight of the world and, and I lose sight of that and I, I forget to breathe. These truths are meant to help us breathe again. <clears throat> and this is something that, I, that for me, as I was thinking about this day, I thought that um, what is the gift that God has for us this day? I think it's the ability to breathe. I think it's that, that assurance and that rest. So I'm sure um, many of you probably know why I'm here. <clears throat> we have been walking with Marcus, I love Marcus, and, uh, and some of you know from when he shared in the, the congregational meeting just some of what he's walking through. And, and Marcus is at a time where he actually needs to step back from pastoral ministry for a season. We don't know how long that season is, so this is not punitive. This is meant to be restorative. Um, he needs some space. He, he, needs, he needs to be able to breathe again. He needs to know what it is to, that he's standing in an expansive place that God has him. So it's not punitive, it's restorative. But as Marcus and I have talked, you know, we recognize that it probably won't be less than six months. I mean, he just, he needs some time, he needs space for God to do that restorative work in his heart. The good thing is, is that Marcus recognizes this. So I'm not coming in as the heavy saying, I am removing Marcus. It's no, we've been in conversation and prayer. We realize he needs to step back. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. That he needs to step back from pastoral ministry for a season in order to have that, that space um, for God to do the work that God has for Marcus and in Marcus in that place of, of restoration. So um, practically speaking, um, we have through the end of July covered not because we only need to cover the end of July, but because we made the decision on Monday, and that's about as much time as I've had. Um, but you know, Jeff. Jeff is going to be taking most of the Sundays um, until the end of July. Jeff has accepted a position in Modesto, California, so he's then moving to this uh, call that God has placed on his life. We have a couple of Sundays where a couple of other uh, clergy are going to come in, but but especially in this initial month, um, Jeff is here not just for Sundays, but but also at pastoral care, and just to be able to, to walk with you and pastor you in this season. Um, you have other people. You have a good uh, parish council. I've met with them a number of times. Um, Rhonda, who is in the ordination process that I'm, I'm just excited about. Um, you've got tremendous resources here um, to walk with you in this season. Um, I don't know if I, I want to do sort of questions and answers now. I'm more likely to say maybe after worship, if you have questions, um, you can ask them. I can't promise answers because I might not be able to answer your questions, um, but I will try. And, um, and know that, that Marcus is not um, alone in this time, um, that I'm going to walk with them. A good friend of mine is also walking with him, and, and Marcus is being attentive to the things that he needs. Um, for life and, and just to get some rest and some reorientation um, to know that that expansiveness so um, 
one of the things about being a bishop is you can be a liturgical terrorist and just change the plans um, without anybody telling you you can't, right? <laughs> so, sounds reasonable. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> so we're, um, we're not going to do regular prayers of the people. Um, what I would, sorry, Peter, I just took his room. Um, I want us to gather around and just pray for, pray for Marcus uh, initially. Then we can pray for, for Elise also. And we can pray for the church. But let's, let's uh, begin by the time.